You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today, our special guest is Dr. Ron Davis, who takes over as president of the American Medical Association in June. Unlike many other AMA presidents, Ron Davis has a full-time background in public health, and he will bring that experience with him to the AMA. He's currently director of the Center for Health Promotion and Disease Prevention at the Henry Ford Health System in Detroit. He has been director of the federal government's Office on Smoking and Health and medical director of the Michigan Department of Public Health. Welcome to the Washington Health Report. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. Dr. Davis, welcome to the program. Good to be with you. I'd like to ask you about some of the public health issues facing our country. Certainly, obesity is one that's getting a lot of attention in the media and I think in the medical profession as well, and there are a lot of complicated issues there. What are your thoughts about that, and what kinds of issues does AMA have on its agenda regarding to the so-called obesity epidemic? This is a very concerning public health problem. Experts at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, in Atlanta, they've listed what they call the actual causes of death. We often rate the leading causes of death, heart disease number one, cancer number two, stroke number three, emphysema number four, for example. But they look at the underlying risk factors that cause these diseases. And at the top of the list is tobacco, which causes more than 400,000 deaths each year. Number two is obesity, that is, poor diet and lack of physical activity, which is responsible, according to the CDC, for about 365,000 deaths each year. And What's very scary about this particular problem is that the statistics are getting worse. The prevalence of overweight and obesity is going up. In fact, the CDC has a series of slides. The slides are of the U.S. with color coding for the individual states according to their level of obesity. And if you flip through these slides from 1985 to the present, year by year, and I do this in some talks I give, you see that the rates of obesity are going up steadily year after year after year, across the entire country. And now we have about 60% of adults who are overweight or obese. And of course, we have a growing obesity problem among children and adolescents as well. So we're very concerned about the problem. And given that, that this has been evolving over two or three decades, we have no time to lose to turn this situation around. Because even if we have huge change right now in programs and policies, it's going to take years before we see significant improvements in health outcomes. Now, there was a study in the Journal of the American Medical Association just uh, a week or two ago, I I clipped it out, I have it on my desk, that compared the four diets, if I can remember, I think it was Ornish, the Ornish, Dean Ornish diet, the Atkins diet, the LEARN, the so-called LEARN diet, which I think is used by a lot of weight loss clinics, and there was one other one. In any case, what was interesting about it was none of them produced large weight loss, but the Atkins diet produced the most weight loss over a 12-month period, if I'm remembering the details correctly. And it also seemed to improve the the lipid profile and cholesterol and so forth. I don't know if you're familiar with that particular study, but there's some very complicated uh, issues about the the science of obesity and weight loss. And and, uh, where do we stand on those things? Well, I, I am familiar with the study. And I think the main message is that people can lose weight in different ways. They can, they can go the Atkins route and a low-carb diet. They can go the low-fat low route, such as Ornish. The main thing, though, is that they need to, to change the way they lead their daily lives, and that includes what they eat, and that includes how much physical activity they get. And body weight is basically a reflection of calories in 
foods and beverages, and calories out, uh, the calories you burn through physical activity. And you have to change both parts of the equation to be most effective in keeping the excess weight off. And physical activity, each person needs to figure out how they can work this into their daily lives. Some get up at 5 in the morning to be able to get in their exercise routine before they start work. Other people skip lunch and do it over lunch. Other people will get on the treadmill or the stationary bike while they're watching their favorite TV show or a sports event on television during the evening. So whatever works for you is is what you need to do. And at the same time, uh, watch what you're eating, watch how much you're eating, uh, watch uh, how often you're eating. What about alcohol, alcohol use and abuse? Where does that rank in the list of public health problems and what's the AMA's plan or agenda with regard to alcohol use? When I mentioned leading causes of death, According to risk factor or lifestyle, I mentioned tobacco was number one at more than 400,000 deaths each year, poor diet and lack of physical activity and obesity, about 365,000 deaths. Number three is alcohol, somewhere between 75,000 and 100,000 deaths each year in the United States due to alcohol abuse from liver failure, heart disease, throat cancer, and drunk driving and other diseases. So it's a huge problem as well. The AMA has had two huge programs to combat the alcohol problem in recent years, funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, one addressing underage drinking and the other addressing drinking on college campuses. We right now are, of course, entering the springtime when college and high school students are going into their school spring breaks, oftentimes going down to Florida or Cancun or other areas where a lot of Fun time is being had, but often a lot of risky behavior, including a lot of drinking. And so we've been getting out the message about uh, avoiding uh, alcohol misuse. And we're also, just to to, to make this discussion as timely as possible, we're all also in the midst of March Madness, the NCAA uh, basketball playoffs. We're making the point that we need to get alcohol advertising off the campuses and uh, out of the sporting events that are reaching so many kids. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're talking with Dr. Ron Davis, president-elect of the AMA. The worry with college students, I think, in alcohol is that at least some of those may be establishing patterns that are going to continue in life. It's kind of a wonder that uh, that all of them don't wind up <laughs> with continuing alcohol problems as some of the things we see. Is yeah, it, it, that's true. And the two major problems are chronic high levels of alcohol use, but also binge drinking. And that's where we see a lot of problems among youth. You see alcohol made light of through beer pong games, for example, and competitions to drink more and more. You see kids reaching their 21st birthday, and they're hauled off by their friends to go to the local bar and having 21 shots to celebrate their 21st birthday. Uh, We've seen deaths from uh, alcohol toxicity through those kinds of gimmicks, and it's very concerning. Let's switch, if we can, now to talk a little bit about health insurance. There are a few things that are uh, that are happening right now, and you can probably tell me about some others that I don't know about, but certainly there's been a lot of talk about the SCHIP program, Insurance for Children. What is the AMA's position on that, and do you have a sense of, I mean, there are proposals to cut the funding, there are proposals to expand the funding. What do you think might happen in this Congress? We believe that SCHIP, the state children's health insurance program, will be reauthorized 
we support that. We hope it will be expanded to, to cover all children who, who need to be covered. We have been pushing for universal health care coverage for many years. Health care coverage for the uninsured is one of the five priority areas in our health care advocacy agenda. We are part of a coalition called the Health Coverage Coalition for the Uninsured, which includes 16 national uh, organizations ranging from the Chamber of Commerce on the one side of the political spectrum to AARP and Families USA on the other with groups like the AMA in the middle. And it is recommending both private sector and public sector strategies to get us to universal coverage, public sector strategies, including expansions of S-CHIP and Medicaid, and private sector strategies being something like refundable tax credits that are inversely related to income so that the poor receive the greatest tax credits. And that's similar to an AMA proposal that we've been espousing for many, many years. That This coalition that I referenced is talking about focusing on children first and then moving to adults. So we believe that there are proposals out there that are workable, affordable, and embraced as the, the HCCU, the coalition I mentioned, shows that are embraced from groups on the right and on the left. And if groups from both sides of the political spectrum can find common ground through this health coverage coalition for the uninsured, then we believe that groups or individuals on the right and the left in our Congress can do the same. For a while, there was a lot of talk about a Canadian-style uh, single-payer system, and not so much now. Is there probably a lot of reasons why that's not politically feasible? But is it is it still something that should be on the table, or is it not a good idea, what, whatever the politics of it might be? There are certainly some strong proponents. It seems to be moving, and, and that's why we've supported refundable tax credits as the underpinning for uh, a new way to cover all of Americans. Now, I should hasten to add that refundable tax credit sounds pretty jargony, kind of policy wonk language. <laughs> and what refundable means, basically, is if you're poor, so poor that you don't pay taxes or you have low income and pay few taxes, such that a tax deduction is not going to benefit you much, you would get a tax credit. That is equivalent to a cash payment from the government, a voucher, if you will, to allow you to select, purchase, own, and carry with you health care coverage, health insurance. The single-payer system is uh, dependent on a central government role, and that's where we think, given problems with Medicare and its future insolvency, given problems with Medicaid, which is bankrupting many state, uh, state budgets, we believe that less dependency on, on government is probably a better way to go. The problems with uh, Medicare and Medicaid, uh, physicians uh, in, 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 in many respects are the victims of the, of the system. It's not only the uninsured people, but the physicians themselves, I think, in many ways, are having a difficult time with our current system. That's right. Too often, these public medical programs like Medicaid and Medicare have their shortfalls. They're not hemorrhaging in terms of their effects on state budgets and federal budget. And so the government looks around to see who can they squeeze. And physicians are often at the top of their list for who to squeeze. Well, the problem is when Medicaid is cutting payments to physicians, Medicare is doing so by 5% a year. When medical liability insurance premiums are going through the ceiling, when new technologies and electronic health records are requiring physicians to invest more and more in these system improvements that they have to absorb on their own, it's at some point you, you can't run the small business, which is what most solo practices or small group practices are. How are you going to pay your, your staff? How are you going to pay the rent? And so physicians, when they're faced with 
these huge cuts for Medicare and Medicaid, at some point, many of them are saying, uh, enough is enough, I'm bailing out, I'm not going to be able to take on any more Medicare beneficiaries into my practice, and then you have huge access problems, and seniors or the poor have a hard time finding a doctor to take care of themselves, then they go to the emergency department for their care, and that costs us all a lot more uh, in the long run and doesn't give them the continuity of care that they need. Well, let's hope uh, that Congress does something. I'd, I'll, I'll editorialize here and say it's a, just a, a horrible uh, system, I think, a situation we're in with health insurance in this country now, and uh, I certainly hope things improve. We've been talking about public health and health insurance and other important issues with Dr. Ron Davis, president-elect of the AMA. Thanks so much, Ron, for taking the time to be with us. Good to be with you. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You have been listening to the Washington Health Report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.